Greetings to those who watch below. Before we start with today's stories, just want to give a big shout out to Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim and Ghost City Shelton for being those who dwell below, an exclusive members only part of the channel which gives you shout outs at the start of every video. Also, if you would like more creepy in your life, make sure to check out the creepypasta.com YouTube channel. I am actually doing a few videos over there at the moment, so if you want to, go over and check it out and feel free to say hi. So last video we had our monthly roundup of paranormal stories. This time, it's the turn of those true life creepy encounters. Lurking Gangsters in the Woods by Dirty This happened when I was about 12 years old. My friends and I used to ride our bikes all over Hell's Half Acre, and we lived in a neighbourhood bordering East Cleveland. They got a lot of spillover crime from the ghetto, most of which were high school aged kids in gangs committing senseless crimes. Lots of murders, lots of robberies. I even had one friend whose mother was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and was killed by a stray bullet from a drive-by shooting. I guess our town wasn't the best neighbourhood, but it wasn't the worst either. So I had saved up my money from birthdays and holidays, and saved enough to buy a new mountain bike, and it was pretty badass, although I believe it was only like $200, but it was the first thing that I ever saved my money for and bought for myself. Naturally, I wanted to take it in the woods to rip some trails, but being in an urban environment, all we had nearby was some small patches of woods. A few years prior to this, I ran away from home and got lost for like four hours before stopping at a gas station and calling my dad, who was the reason I ran away from home in the first place, to come pick me up. The reason I got lost is because I turned off the road behind the local post office and went through a pretty big woodlot, the biggest I had seen in the area, and when I came out, I wasn't anywhere that I recognised. So anyway, I called up my friend who also had a mountain bike, and I told him about the woodlot. We decided to go rip the trails. When we arrived at the post office, the scene was pretty much the same, except they had fenced it off with probably an eight-foot fence with barbed wire. Not the looping razor wire that's impossible to climb, but just general barbed wire. Luckily, there was a small cut in the fence that we could sneak through with the bikes, without having to challenge this barbed wire. Although our urban exploration had brought us over many barbed wire fences, so we were accustomed to getting over them unscathed, but never with bikes. We snuck into the woodlot, and got on our bikes and head down the trail, which was on a downhill decline. As we had just started to pick up speed, we were not even 50 yards into the lot when we saw ahead of us, in probably another 50 feet, a group of 8 to 10 older kids, all tatted up and not dressed like they were there for a camping trip. They were just standing there around a fire and smoking cigs or weed or something. Anyway, we stopped and looked at them for what seemed like only a few seconds and they seemed to notice us immediately. At first they started yelling for us to come over to them. Neither of us moved. We were both good kids with good families, and we knew that this was not a situation that we wanted to be in. They began to get more aggressive as we didn't respond, and the, hey, come over here, turned into, I said, get the fuck over here. At this point, my friend and I looked at one another, knowing they wanted to steal our bikes and probably beat us up hoping one of us had some kind of escape plan. And when we looked back to see what they were doing, we saw two of them running at us. We flipped our bikes around and took off back toward the fence, 
We were pedalling uphill, so we were going slower than we would have been if we were on foot. I was in front, and jumped off my bike and ran with my bike in tow. Beside me, my friend followed suit and did the same. We were covering ground faster on foot, since we were going uphill and couldn't gain any momentum on the bikes. When we got to the top of the hill, we were greeted by the barbed wire fence. Fuck. Now, I was a pretty strong 12-year-old. I was very athletic and had natural strength from growing up as a wrestler. We wasted no time looking for the opening, because it was well hidden and a pain in the ass to get through. So, I just grabbed my bike and threw it over the fence. My brand new bike. Then, I grabbed my friend's bike and did the same. We scaled the barbed wire and jumped down from the top and into the parking lot where our bikes lay us through, and hurriedly picked them up. Scaling the barbed wire had bought us some time, because the two guys behind us were holding the fence open for each other, and one guy got his shirt snagged. We took off as fast as we could, and now we're on smooth pavement and a flat landscape. There's no way we were getting caught by someone on foot. We sped off a mile or so down the road, and stopped at the gas station, scared shitless and gasping for breath. We looked back and saw nobody. We'd escaped. Or so we thought. As we sat there in the parking lot of the gas station recapping what had just taken place, we were getting ready to ride away when our worst nightmare unfolded. An old body-style Grand Marquis pulled up, and in it were four of the eight or ten guys. I'm not certain where the others were, but two of them were unmistakably the guys chasing us in the woods, and the others were probably down in the woods, but I didn't recognise them. My relief of escape turned to terror as the car pulled in and one of the guys jumped out. Hey, motherfuckers. We didn't wait around to hear the rest. We hit skates and were cutting away on our bikes before they could respond, pedalling as fast as our legs would take us. They got in the car and followed us through the neighbourhood as we cut through backyards, threw our bikes over fences, cut across streets and ran for our lives. We eventually found our way into the backyard of someone a couple of blocks away from my house that lived on a corner and had a large wooden privacy fence which we hid behind. We could still see through the small cracks between the wooden planks and had a view of the street from two different angles. We saw the car pass twice, then nothing, but we didn't want to risk coming out quite yet. What if they were waiting up the street? What if they were waiting down the street? We didn't know what to do. Then, the luckiest thing ever happened. The guy whose yard we were hiding in called the police. We saw the flashing lights through the fence posts and panicked. We thought we were going to be arrested, but the cops weren't concerned with what we were doing as much as they were concerned about who we were hiding from. We recapped the story and they gave us rides to our houses. It was over. The cops never did find who those guys were or what they wanted. I can only imagine they wanted our bikes or they just wanted to beat us up for fun. Or maybe both. I moved out of that area about three years later. And my friend I was with stayed. He's currently serving jail time for gang-related crime. Fourteen years later, as a 26-year-old, 6-foot, 225-pound guy, I still have frequent nightmares, at least once a month where I am on foot or on a bike running through my old neighbourhood while being chased by gangsters who want to kill me. This was probably the most terrifying experience of my life. 
My girlfriend and I were almost robbed in Walmart. My girlfriend and I have been dating for about three years, and I have never had an experience that was as close of a call as this time. We're mostly nocturnal creatures, especially when we used to work the night shift at a factory together. To us, midnight used to be like noon, and we loved going out to the store around this time, because we were usually two of ten people in the place, including staff members. One night a year or so ago, we were doing our usual Saturday night shopping at around midnight, when I got the strangest feeling, not even five minutes into our journey. I constantly felt like we were being followed, but every time I would look, there was no one there. I eventually wrote this off as paranoia, and started to have a good time and make an adventure out of our trip. We were finishing up on the non-grocery side of Walmart, taking the long straight away towards the grocery so we can get down to the business of getting food. My girlfriend was telling me about her latest attempts and statistics of her shiny hunting in Pokemon Ultra Sun, when I finally noticed him. I heard a slight clicking noise, and looked back casually to see a man pushing a bicycle alongside him, walking a few steps back. It was brand new, like he pulled it right off the rack. As he walked past and was staring at me, I got a bad, bad feeling. I positioned myself on the other side of my girlfriend, so that I was between him and her purse, which raised red flags to her. I told her to keep walking and act natural. A couple of minutes go by, and the man makes this mad dash around a median chip display towards us, and stopped dead when he saw I didn't flinch. Now, I'm not exactly a muscular guy, but I suppose my six foot four stature made him nervous about what I was capable of since I was wearing heavy winter clothing. I never broke eye contact until he turned around and walked back in the direction he was following us from and disappeared. For about 30 minutes we shopped around wondering if I was just being paranoid still and we disregarded it as much. That is, until we were checking out. As I finished checking out the groceries and got ready to pay, I saw the same man on the bicycle with the front basket full of food and a woman's purse in his right hand, pedalling as hard as he could. An employee made an attempt to grab him, but was too slow and he got away. We then asked a nearby employee if we just saw what we think we did and told them about what happened to us, and they said they weren't allowed to tell us anything and threatened to charge us with trespassing if we didn't leave immediately. To this day, I have no idea if they ever caught the guy or got the purse back. We still talk about this, and her family says it's possible I could have died if I fought back, but I figure if he had a gun, he wouldn't have hesitated like he did when he finally caught up to us. I witnessed a home intruder at 4am before he entered the home I had just left. By Louis C. 94 A few years ago, I used to help out a family member check cows, who were soon to give birth in the winter. I worked the night shift, so I would sleep in the guest room at the farm for a few hours, and then go out at 2am to check the cows, which took a bit, then I'd head home. I used to do this about three nights a week. This specific night, I made the rounds and all was fine, so I hopped in my car and left the farm to head home. I was just able to barely pick up speed when I noticed a figure on the road, it's common to see deer, so I kept my brights on and slowed way down. As I got closer, I realised in the middle of the road, there's a man. It's winter, but he was only wearing a hoodie. He was alone. No dog, no vehicle parked by, 
and no other driveways nearby. But I just assumed it was someone who had reason to be out at 4am in the middle of nowhere, so I drove home and forgot about it. The next day, while having dinner at my sister and brother-in-law's house, my brother-in-law had something to tell us, but waited until their kids went to bed. He told us, This morning my parents woke up with a man inside their house. My heart dropped. The farmer, who is my brother-in-law's dad, woke up to find a stranger wearing a grey hoodie sitting at his kitchen table. He had walked right through the front door that used to always stay unlocked. Assuming the stranger walked to the farmhouse after I drove by, he would have been in their home, undetected, for almost three hours. Thank the Lord the stranger was not there to harm. Rather, he was confused. He couldn't remember anything about himself or how he got there. It was as if a bad trip had led him to walk out in the middle of winter for miles, with no coat and only one shoe on. Feeling uncomfortable, yet realising the stranger wasn't a threat, the farmer brought him to the nearest gas station in town, where the stranger had a friend come pick him up. Now, the farmer and his wife always lock their doors. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Caravans, Showers and Peeping Toms by Darcy Bain When I was 12 or so, my friend Louise invited me to spend a week with her granny and older brother at their parents' caravan. It was in a caravan site in Eyre, right next to the coast. The beach was fun to run and play on, but was very rocky and gravelly and festooned with jellyfish, so we never even considered going for a swim. The caravan site was quite large and in the middle of open farmland, with not a lot of trees around and plenty of hills in the distance. It had a communal wash house in the centre of the site, with two enclosed unisex shower cubicles within the smelly entrance to the gents' toilets. The caravan itself was quite old-fashioned, even in 1991, and was really very small. It had a wash closet with a toilet, and the front lounge section and rear kitchenette could only be separated from the entranceway and each other by a couple of thin curtains. At night, the lounge sofas converted into a double bed, as did the dining booth in the back. Louise and I slept in the lounge, and her granny and brother slept in the kitchenette. It was very cramped, with little privacy. David, Louise's brother, was sort of creepy. He was a year older than Louise and I, and didn't seem to have a lot of friends. He stared at me sometimes, and wouldn't answer when I spoke to him. Louise said he sometimes watched her through the gaps in her bedroom door at home, and he sometimes tried to peer under their bathroom door when she was in the bath or on the toilet. Being girls and not really aware of sex or incest or perversions, we just took this for the kind of annoying, goading behaviour typical of any boy. He'd always laugh and jeer if anyone put him on the spot about it. I was disappointed that David was going, and we even tried to convince his grand not to bring him along, but to no avail. The previous summer, 
David had gone through a phase of always trying to pull down girls' skirts, pants, whatever. He tried to do it to me and his sister a few times until his dad found out and did the same to him before spanking him as he cried his eyes out. I felt sorry for David after that, but still wondered if he'd try the same thing on this holiday. I decided I'd try to never turn my back on him. David turned out to be great, for the first day or two anyway. He'd really matured. He'd talk and smile and generally be kind and helpful. He was thinner and taller, and he started growing his hair and was listening to rock music now. So he let me as Walkman with some tapes of Bon Jovi and Aerosmith, which I didn't really like, but the gesture was just another part of his improved behaviour. I really liked the way he looked and dressed now, and crazily, was developing a tiny bit of a crush on him. Louise still couldn't stand David, though, so I didn't say anything like that to her. The first creepy moment came on the second night, when we were getting changed for bed in the lounge with the light on and the curtain closed over. If the light was off in one end of the caravan and not the other, the curtains became slightly see-through. Louise was changed, and I was undressing when she hissed, David, at the curtain. I ducked under the covers in just my pants instead of the curtain. I didn't hear him move, but Louise said, he's gone now. I almost didn't believe she'd seen him, but I got changed under the covers in the dark anyway. I got up two times during the night to use the toilet, and both times David was in there, and didn't come out for at least ten minutes. I'd heard him go in and out a lot the night before too. When he went in or came out after that, I wondered if he'd been standing at the curtain, but it was too dark to tell, and I only heard him when he was at the toilet door. I lay awake for at least an hour or two that night, but in the morning David was just his new friendly self, and we got on fine. Louise didn't seem bothered either. I went for a shower at the wash house with Louise in tow, because I was a little scared of all the boys and men coming and going. When you locked the door to the cubicle, there was still a gap of a couple of inches at the bottom of the door, and a gap of probably a foot above the door. When you were coming up the steps outside, you could see the feet of whoever was showering. To make matters worse, I found that when the door was closed, there was still a gap of about a centimetre running up the right side of the door. Anyone could stop and peer in if they wanted. To this day, I still don't understand how that was acceptable, especially as there weren't separate shower areas for men and women. But when you're a child, you accept it, because a sensible, responsible adult must have okayed it. I doubt you could get away with building something like that nowadays. Before we undressed, we found that we could hang one of our towels on the corner of the door and block off most of the gap. So at least if someone wanted to watch us, they'd have to kneel right down. And who was going to risk doing that with all the toing and froing in the morning? Despite this measure, and despite only whispering so no one passing can tell if we were male or female, twice while we were showering, the towel dropped to the floor. I didn't see anyone stop to look in, but anyone walking by could get a glimpse, and it didn't seem likely the towel could have been dislodged by accident, but someone could have easily poked it down from outside. I was mortified, and we took turns holding the towel in place until we were done. Every once in a while, someone would stop and stand at the door for a moment, then move on. We got dressed and got out, and as we were walking back to the caravan, I turned and saw David coming out of the gents, almost like he'd been looking for us. He'd been in there at least some of the time we were in the shower cubicle, 
and would have known it was us from the towel over the corner of the door. Later, Louise's grand took us to visit her old castle down the road, and David was fine all day. I decided it wasn't him that moved the towel, if it was anyone at all, and I don't think Louise had thought that in the first place anyway. The next night and day went by normally, but the night after that, I woke and was staring at the curtain for a while until my eyes could focus, and I saw David standing there, holding the curtain open a crack, watching me. I closed my eyes again, and pretending I was asleep, I tossed and turned and made noises to scare him into going back to bed. I opened my eyes a little. He was still there, behind the curtain. I could tell he was topless, and the curtain was moving a little. I could hear a repetitive sound, the swishing of fabric. I had no idea what he was doing then, but I'm pretty sure I know now. I turned over and put my back to him and tried to wish him away. I slept on the outside of the bed, and at one point I felt like he was standing right over me, but I never looked. I just pretended I was asleep. I didn't want it to be real. Soon I heard him go into the toilet, and again, he didn't come out for a good ten minutes. The next morning Louise and I had got up and were having breakfast with her gran. I sat up in bed in my pyjamas, sort of daydreaming. I looked up and saw David again standing in the gap in the curtain. He smiled at me and said good morning, and I did something I'll never understand. I smiled back and repeated good morning to him. I don't know why I did that. He didn't deserve my good manners. I wanted a shower, but Louise refused to go with me that morning. I wanted to ask her to keep David away from the cubicles in that case, but didn't. In the cubicle, I hung the towel over the corner again and pushed the plastic chair in the cubicle in front of the lower part of the gap. I kept an eye on the towel as I showered. After a while, there was a knock on the door and an English man asked how long I was going to be. He sounded annoyed and I could see his hairy feet and sandals under the door. I said I'd be a few minutes, but his feet didn't move away. I carried on showering when I heard his voice like it was right next to me. He'd knocked the towel down and was staring at me through the crack in the door. He was almost yelling now, telling me he was in a hurry and asking where my father was. He was going to tell on me for taking too long. He just kept staring and I was frozen to the spot, until another man spoke and he stepped away from the door. The two men were arguing and they stepped outside. I quickly covered up the door. I then heard a woman outside with them, saying shame on you and come back later. Next, she knocked on the door and asked if I was okay. I hesitated, then said I was fine, to which she replied, How long are you going to be? Thanks for the sympathy, bitch. Back at the caravan, David was his normal nice self, but I spent the rest of the holiday being cold with him, and tried to swap sides in the bed with Louise, but she refused. I kept the covers right over my head for the next few nights. Louise and I fought a lot after that, and I took to wandering the beach on my own. David followed me once, and while I fully expected him to do something creepy, nothing happened. He told me endlessly about what albums he owned or was going to get for his birthday, and said that I could borrow any of them, but I never did. I seldom went to Louise's house after the holiday in any case, and we eventually drifted apart in secondary school. The last time I saw David was in maybe the late 90s, 
who was working as a barman, and looked fine, happy, healthy, and delighted to see me. He invited me to a gig with him, Louise, and their friends, but I declined. I made some terrible, obvious excuse. I could tell he saw through it, and that he was maybe a little hurt. To this day, it still makes me feel a little bad that I couldn't look past that creepy, hormonal, 13-year-old boy I once knew. Thank you so much for listening to today's stories. If you enjoyed them, make sure to like, share, comment and subscribe to the channel. If you do subscribe, hit the notification bell. That way you'll know when the next video comes out. So, until next time, sleep tight.